and welcome to episode 128 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Vement, your host. Welcome to Fourth of July weekend over here in the United States. If you are traveling to visit family or going camping or whatever you are doing for the Fourth of July and need something to listen to while you're on the road or in the air, I hope you enjoy this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. And even if you're not traveling anywhere, I hope you enjoy this episode because this is one of the special ones. In this episode, we will take a look at the news, which isn't all that much, and we have Doctor Who comic news. But then we will do a review of Doctor Who comic number three, otherwise known as Missing number three. That just came out a week or so ago from Titan Comics. And we will do a quick review of that. Why is it going to be quick? Because we have a huge interview in this episode. One of my holy grails, one of the people I always wanted to chat with, and... It finally came to fruition. Former Doctor Who magazine editor Gary Gillett joined me for a great conversation. In fact, I think it's one of the best interviews that I have ever done. It is very informative. It covers a wide spectrum of topics, and I think you will enjoy it. Gary was uh, Doctor Who magazine editor back in the 90s, uh, leading up to and through the TV movie with Paul McGann. And you get to hear what things are like for Doctor Who magazine running through the wilderness years up to the TV movie and beyond. I think you'll enjoy this this interview. I know I enjoyed hearing his stories and learning a lot more about him and his work. And I hope you enjoy it. So with all that being said for the intro, let's jump right into the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, let's take a look at uh, new releases. We will take a look at the month of June since the last episode of Panel to Panel came out. And since then, on Wednesday, June 16th, Missing Number 3, or Doctor Who comic number 3, was released from uh, Titan Comics. So if you are collecting those, make sure you got that or stop by your comic shop and pick it up. Then we will jump ahead to Thursday, June 24th, which is uh, the new issue of Doctor Who magazine, issue number 566, came out in the UK and also digitally. It was a really good issue. There was lots of good articles in there. Unfortunately, no new Doctor Who comic strip as yet. I'm hoping that in the next couple issues we'll hopefully get back on track and get a new comic strip. But as of right now, unfortunately, nothing new. And that is all I have on the list of new stuff. Other Doctor Who comic news. Issue number four of Litten, the miniseries from Cutaway Comics, is going to be released here shortly. I just got an email yesterday regarding that. I am going to do a review. Once issue number four comes out, we'll do kind of a review of uh, the whole miniseries together and take a look at it as one big lump sum. Uh, Along those lines, they also have uh, should have a new issue of Omega coming out. Issue number three should be coming out. And we will take a look at that as well. But unfortunately, outside of that, there's not a lot of Doctor Who comic news. Uh, hopefully there will be some more guest announcements for next year's Gallifrey convention out in Los Angeles. But right now, we're kind of in a holding pattern. So, nice short list of news. On to a review. This time on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, we are going to continue on with our look at Doctor Who comic from Titan Comics. This is issue number three, otherwise known as Missy number three, otherwise known as The Master Plan Part Three. 
This issue is written by writer Jody Hauser, with art by Roberta Ingranata, coloring by Enrica Aaron Angiolini, and Shari Chankama from Flattener, and Richard Starkings doing the lettering. All right, in this issue, we are continuing on from uh, previously. Let me read you the previously real quick. Missy and the Master were in a tight spot when she tried to break him out of Stormgate, or Stormcage Prison. Luckily, the ever-charming River Song turned up to give them a hand. With his devious wit, the Master concocted a plan to open the door concealing the key to time, to travel back through their own timelines. So, this issue is uh, Missy and the Master in uh, a TARDIS going back and trying to find where the the key to time is, or trying to get back to find where it's at. And they rationalize, or rationalize that going back through their timeline to try to find where it's at um, is a good strategy to find where where it's hidden or where how to get to it. Uh, Missy and the Master start kind of hopping back through time. They have a little, uh, Missy calls it a thingamajig, which, quoting, will search for energy signatures that correspond to the lock across this time-space point. In other words, our key. So this is their key to finding the key. Um, and we see uh, one of their first stops is going to see when the 13th Doctor is, had her confrontation with uh, the current Master, which is interesting, I guess, in that you get to have three Masters all in the same scene, even though uh, the the current Master doesn't know the other two are around. They then jump to uh, another segment of or another part of time uh, in which the 12th Doctor is playing his guitar. Um, we jump to another time where we go to find another incarnation of the Master, who is a little uh, crazy at that point and hungry. And then we end up on Gallifrey, and then we have some vignettes of other hops or stops that they make along the way. And then we end up them kind of rationalizing that maybe we should be following the Doctor's timeline, and the Doctor spent a lot of his time on Earth back in the 1970s, and that's how they end up at Unit HQ, in which... The uh, Delgado Master sneaks away from Missy and is going off in search of the Brigadier. And that's where this issue ends. My review of this, I know I kind of went off on uh, the second issue, and I'm going to go off on the third issue. Not only do we have just Master and Missy going on this journey, not all that much happens. This seems like a really... Uh, a small step being told in 20 pages of the comic and all we're getting in this is in my opinion or at least what it looks like to me is Jody Hauser picking out her favorite moments in Doctor Who current Doctor Who history just to work them into the story having the the master and Missy encounter these scenes that all of us have seen great so they're going back through the Doctor and the Master's history and stopping off to view a something that has happened before. Big deal. Um, to me, this, this was a throwaway issue. You could have easily told these few things in the span of four to six pages and furthered the story along a lot more. 
Um, to me, it feels like pretty much nothing happens in this issue from the beginning of the, the, from the first page to the last page. All you've done is taken the two main characters of this story, done nothing with them as characters, not really furthered the story along, and moved them from point A to point B with a bunch of little stops in between that make didn't really do anything. Um, like I said in the previous uh, podcast episode where I reviewed issue number two, the story to me is just a bunch of fan service, and I know it's trying to get people to buy the comic in hopes that uh, doing story, you know, doing a fan service type story will get the fans excited about it. To me, no. I'm, I want a good solid story and a good Doctor Who story. And to me, Jody has told some good Doctor Who stories in the past. I've enjoyed her writing, but this one is just pushing all the wrong buttons for me. And it's, I, I think it's kind of sad that at this point in time, there's not a lot of good Doctor Who comics coming out at the moment with uh, Doctor Who magazine giving the, the comic strip a little bit of a break due to COVID, uh, which I totally understand, but I hope it comes back soon because that's where I've been enjoying my Doctor Who comic reading. Titan Comics, the, the past few issues of this Missy story just have not done it for me, and hopefully we get a turnaround of some sort. So... Missy number three, Dr. Ukami number three. If you haven't been following this story, you're not really missing anything. Um, and that is all I have to say about it. Today on Dr. Who Panel to Panel, I have the extreme pleasure of ticking off one of the boxes on my bucket list and talking to Gary Jillett. Gary, a pleasure to talk to you. A uh, pleasure to talk to you too after all this time. I think it's been some years since you... Uh first inquired if i'd be interested yeah and and like i said i have a kind of a, a short list of people that i've always wanted to have on my podcast and you were right towards the top of the list because i started was reading doc- I, I demand to know the names above me <laughs> i'm keeping those a secret just because uh-huh. i that, that way i can be a big surprise if i actually get a hold um, of them and I'm, actually going to have them. Them, I'm gonna have them all killed immediately so <laughs> raise, my, raise my stock but uh, I, I think a lot of people are like me in that you know, I started reading Doctor Who magazine with issue number 142 back in uh, late 1988. And okay. ever in all the years that I've read Doctor Who, I've always seen your name. And I've seen your picture in Doctor Who magazine from, from time to time. Yes. And I've always wanted to learn more about you and about how you became like a Doctor Who fan. Were you a Doctor Who fan first? And then how did you become an editor of Doctor Who magazine? Or were you a, you know, okay. a writer and... Can, well, what's, what's your I'll, background? I'll try and cut that story into. I, I, I was kind of fated to be involved in the uh, program, it, at least in its uh, its adjunct way, in which I, I have, because I grew up in Blackpool, which for those um, who lived in Britain will know has has a, a very strong link to Doctor Who because it had the exhibition uh-huh. on the seafront right through the the seventies, and in fact, I'm sure. There are fans from around the world who've 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 made a pilgrimage to Blackpool in those great days. And um, I lived in uh, South Shore, which is a, a, an, an area of Blackpool on a little council estate. And if the wind blew in a certain way, you could hear the theme music playing on a nonstop loop. All through the it would literally drift through the trees. Uh-huh. This kind of this kind of weird background music. So that was one oddity. The other oddity was the man who ran the exhibition happened to live on my street. Of all the streets in Blackpool, of all the streets in Britain, and of the evening, he would bring home 
the company car, I guess, which was um, a certain sprightly yellow roadster known as Bessie. So oh, along wow. my street. So it the, this thing which kind of existed as a kind of a program for most people for me kind of kind of pressed itself through into the reality of day-to-day life uh-huh. and I, I used to stare at that car in the morning and sometimes he would drop me off at school oh, wow. in Bessie and um, uh, this of course felt perfectly normal it kind of still does really <laughs> um, and but but for my own f- fanness um, the first thing that hooked my attention that I recall was a picture in the daily newspaper of Steyr, the Sontaran, from the Sontaran experiment. Uh-huh. So that, that kind of sort of toad-like black and white shot, which uh, his, his sort of standard kind of press shot that he sends out to his agents, I imagine. Uh-huh. Um, so I was fascinated by this, this picture. I, I, I stared at it for hours. And then um, I discovered a novelization of Genesis of the Daleks. That m- must have been a couple of years later. Um, and that reminded me that I must have seen it. Uh, the pictures on the front of, of of that reminded me that I'd I watched it. So from about sort of 1975, I was watching regularly, and I was sort of four years old then. Okay. And um, and then the last episode I missed on transmission was the Reboss Operation Part One because we were late back from a holiday. So by that point, I was certainly done for uh-huh. uh, because I can remember crying my eyes out, absolutely <laughs> inconsolable for the week. Um, uh-huh. Especially as, as it was the first time the plot of a season had been outlined. That had never happened. Oh, yeah, prior to that point. And and I was mystified as to the uh, as to the key to time. Um, so carried on through, and then watched every episode uh, right through. Loyal fan, uh, right through. I obviously hit my sort of uh, uh, teens around the time the program started to become troubled. I think because a lot of fans hit their teens around the same time and started to mm-hmm. sort of pick at the scabs of their own <laughs> fans yeah. and so as that kind of hiatus kind of hit i was kind of 15 then and like i was part of the kind of oh yeah of course it needs to be cancelled jane team must go now kind of thing uh-huh. um uh so uh, then lived on um uh, i had no particular interest oh i joined a doctor Who local fan group sorry i'm drowning you in detail here oh no uh, problem went to university age 18 um and in another of those weird circumstances, uh, the f- a person I met on my first day at university happened to have the scripts for for Curse of Fenric and Survival, which weren't to be shown for about another two months. So oh, these wow. sort of things would certainly pop up. So I can remember I was supposed to be at the sort of student freshers getting to know you kind of dance, everyone kind of snogging and drinking and kind of free from home and family for the first time uh-huh. and i was in my room reading the scripts for survival <laughs> and i gave them both a mark out of 10 as well in my diary uh-huh. um so that was that was what i was doing with <laughs> my time um at university i got involved in the student newspaper i was supposed to be working hard at my uh as my my physics and physics and astrophysics degree oh wow. i got involved in the student newspaper um, that gave me a wish to work in magazines in London, which I did. Um, and when I moved to London, I got to know the Doctor Who kind of crowd who was knocking around, including Gary Russell, the then editor of the magazine. Okay. Uh, he put up with my constant um, pestering of ideas about how things might be done differently. 
um, uh, because I, I, as much as I was always a fan of the series, I was a fan of the magazine very much. So I, I've been, mm-hmm. I'd read it since issue one, and I could quote uh, issue and page numbers of, of articles and things. <laughs> I, I was kind of, uh, I was kind of like the rain man of the magazine kind of uh-huh. attitude. Um, so after pestering and pestering and pestering, he offered me the editorship because Gary was offered a sort of bigger job running a kind of uh, a group of titles at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was still there as my boss and guiding hand. Um, but just then the kind of the sky fell in as far as Marvel UK was concerned. And we were bought and managed by Panini. Yeah. Uh, and the level which Gary had stepped to was kind of, cleared away in the way that often happens with these kind of mergers and acquisitions and even though I was new and by rights it should really still have been his job I'd I'd been there a matter of of months I I think Um, um, I just happened to be the one in the chair when the music stopped as it were okay Um, so there I I was and and that's where I I kind of that's that's where my name kind of sort of came out the blue unlike previous people who worked on the magazine I'd not really had a string of features I, before i, I was going to ask did, did you do a lot of writing for that two magazine before you became the editor or no just, no i did i did two things i did two things one was an index which was a a, a cover mounted thing on the magazine which i wrote under pseudonym okay um, which was just i a, remember that a, a, a fold out thing of where you could find various features uh-huh um, because it was the sort of thing i used to write in kind of exercise books as a child myself uh, with drawings on so I, I kind of pestered to do that and then I was also commissioned to uh, and this was a, a remarkable leap of faith on the part of Gary Russell um, to write um, Star Beast 2 for one of the yearbooks which was a, a kind of long oh, okay. eight to ten page comic mm-hmm. sequel to the classic uh, Pat Mills John Wagner strip of the uh, of, of like 1980 um, uh, so it's a little, uh, a, a small joke strip. I'd, I'd no experience of writing a comic strip, but like with most things involving that that magazine, I didn't doubt my own ability. <laughs> <laughs> so I just gave it my best shot. And even then, it, even then, those strips were in the care of Scott. And I, I, I think Scott helped kind of nudge me into a mm-hmm. shape to make sure it kind of fitted the right number of panels. And Sure. Uh, do you... That is my first and and my only Doctor Who fiction writing. Oh yeah, <laughs> much much more prefer the nonfiction stuff. Um, yeah, I've kind of there's <laughs> by the time I was in, involved with the magazine, then the new adventures were were just starting, and 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 that was a whole other world of of people were kind of making their way, sort of mm-hmm. fan names that were, that were part of the kind of the kind of wider fan kind of community in, in London and Britain uh, and the world, I, I suppose, as well. Names like Paul Cornell and Kate Orman and, and Craig Hinton, Gary Russell, names you'd, you'd regularly have read on the letters page of all the fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were making their way in the fiction. I, I didn't have the confidence in that. I, I, I didn't really, well, I certainly didn't have the patience to sit and write a, a novel about the adventures on yeah. On, whatever planet um I, I i was always much more in in much more interested in um in 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 faster turnover things which is why i'm i still work in in fast moving magazines um sure. I, I i haven't the patience to see through a sort of long project <laughs> like a book 
Yeah, uh, I, I got you. I'm, I'm the exact same way doing uh, artwork. I'm one who doesn't want to spend too much time doing one illustration. I want to get it done and move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I'm really, I really need attention. I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so vain. Um, I, I can't write a thing with without immediately then having my friends see it long before it's in in print. <laughs> kind of just, <laughs> I can't do anything just to get a response out of people. So. Uh, uh, hopefully a pleasurable response <laughs> oh most definitely but so, I, I i can't wait for any I, I can't stand any kind of delay gratification so. <laughs> um when you took over as editor of doctor magazine it was during the wilderness years uh, uh being special, <laughs> <laughs> the, the wilderness years the glory years as we oh yeah having. i totally agree <laughs> Uh, I, I was going to ask: Did you did you feel that it would be a challenge to keep Doctor Who magazine going with it not having a, a, a TV show on television oh, at the time? A delight. I'm sure I wouldn't be the only person who's been in charge of that of that magazine who's who's said there's there's nothing better than having that program off air <laughs> to just be able to get on with doing what you want to do because. Uh-huh. Because you have you're there to run that magazine as best as possible, and and the presence or otherwise of the program in studio it doesn't really affect that. I mean, you're busy having your ideas, planning your features uh, ahead, and often production of the program will kind of intrude on on that. There'll be people with there'll be people with opinions getting in your way. I mean, heaven forbid. Um, so. Uh, so we kind of in my time we kind of had this kind of um i was about to call it a blip <laughs> so <laughs> call it the triumph of the tv movie um which 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 was a great joy i'm i'm i'm, I'm i mean i'm a huge fan it's 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 amazing oh, me too. it's amazing it's as good as it was and i think it's it's only becoming more appreciated as the years go by um so uh uh so I, I, no, I wasn't scared of not having the program. I I was I had loads of things to do, and at that point, very few of the production team had been interviewed properly. Um, uh, the, the the magazine was still relatively young in terms of sort of its 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 length of features and the depth of what we might call its Doctor Who journalism, which was a kind of that kind of long form kind of writing where you mm-hmm. kind of get in and wiggle around in the facts and kind of maybe venture an opinion or two um yeah. they sort of interviewed the companions that kind of real kind of front of house kind of stuff but very quickly we were kind of interviewing people like michael hayes who was the who was the director of um of my favorite story androids of tara and 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 the city of death who'd, who'd, who'd never spoken for mm-hmm. and and you, you could easily fill a magazine with him um um even now looking back i'm like thinking why didn't we speak to them for like a 10 part uh-huh. temp, 10 part feature so things like that and things like i kind of knew we needed to get some truth out of john nathan turner um who of course had been batted around quite badly by kind of fandom and was kind of very much on the kind of outer edge then so um so i, I kind of knew that he wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't submit to the kind of length of interview we wanted to do with him um mainly because he'd want to know where the money was coming from um, yeah. 
nor could I pay him a fee because then other actors and 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 crew would expect a fee to be spoken yeah. to. Um, so I paid him to write himself, and and then as soon as you realised he had so much to say, then what what had been planned as a three part feature became a, a whatever it was, a kind of fifteen part thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, uh, again to answer your question, very long. <laughs> once, um, there was no fear of of running dry, and and as the magazine's continuing existence proves now, there's uh, there's there's that that, that, that was. Perfectly justified. Yeah, definitely. Um, as, as somebody, like you said, you've been reading Doctor Magazine since issue one. When you mm-hmm. stepped into the role of, of editor, were there certain features or things that had been done that you wanted to kind of retire and say, okay, we the magazine's kind of done this to death? And yes. you, you also yes. had some ideas of like new stuff that you want to bring in? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think um, – my my kind of USP, I think, was was that I I read a lot a lot of other magazines as well. So okay. whereas Doctor Who magazine existed, of course, and the focus was very much on the Doctor Who content, uh, getting things like telesnaps in those sort of long archive features, and really packing in that kind of Doctor Who value. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. I wanted to keep that, but I also wanted to really bring out the magazine aspect which uh, which is to not say that hadn't been done because because uh, great work done by everyone before me and everyone after but really getting a feeling that that even when it was only a 52 page production um that leafing through those pages it, it took you on a little journey that there was a proper big opening splash splash feature that 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 there was one page things with humor in mm-hmm. um, that the, the, there was texture and and voice um there'd be funny sort of sidebars or or list items or or, or lots of things that are informed by its nature as a magazine because that's what made it unique that there, there was non-fiction books out there there was there was early kind of internet uh, there was fanzine and thing but 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 to get that proper kind of glossy magazine journey was kind of what i aimed for okay so if anything had got a bit kind of whiskery and old like the little uh, strip that was on Tim Quinn and Dickie Howitt strip, which had been yeah. there since um, uh, uh, since like issue sixty, uh, um, uh, that that kind of had to go because I I hadn't laughed at that in I think about five years. I don't think anyone had. Uh-huh. Um, um, it, it was cute. It was there, but it had to go. Um, the idea of the archive is this pull out feature i was very much against um because you pull out an archive and then you pull out the tele snaps of that issue and you'd be left with, with nothing left and i'm thinking i've made this magazine i'm not having people pulling stuff out of it yeah. yeah that makes um, total sense so so those sort of things were rejigged and ironically i i even moved the news to the back which i think was a, a great symbolic gesture because there was no news yeah. um, at that point and at the very moment i did they brought doctor who back <laughs> of course, <laughs> we, moved we, we moved it from the front. I think the next announcement was Doctor Who returns. Uh-huh. So, um, so maybe we made that happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, with you taking over the magazine, um, you know, from reading it from the beginning, uh, what importance do you think the comic strip has in oh, Doctor vital. Who magazine? Absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. My my f- favorite 
part obviously it was what hooked me at the beginning uh-huh. i mean i i had such i i remain such a a, a kind of a champion of it um i mean it's unbelievable those those very first ones in in issues in in those weekly issues right through the the early month monthlies the the talents that they hit upon i mean for deskin to bring pat mills and john wagner and dave gibbons together at the beginning and to and to come out of the gate with something like the iron legion i mean yeah age and reprinting may have dimmed its kind of uh uh spectacle but you know, you could put that. You could put that on TV. I mean, I mean the TV would dream of producing that. Yeah, and not just in in the vision of the story. The fact it should leap from that English village green to kind of this sort of uh, Rome that hasn't fallen, mm-hmm. uh, and through not just that, but also the the balance of humour through it and sort of mild horror, the kind of uh, the kind of living skeleton, which is kind of doctor who kind of kiddie level of kind of hammer kind of body horror everything was kind of uh it was so much better than what was on tv so much more kind of so much more kind of it had so much more sort of fire in its belly yeah uh, right on through city of the damned you know the star beast gets talked about a lot as, as well because because beat the meep is such an incredible televisual uh, creation again no one I, I i don't think that could be convincingly made now I, I think special effects are just about right enough to put the actors in a room with a kind of furry cgi yeah thing that would that would that would draw out your emotions in the same way that beat the meat does um i mean we're just about on the edge of that but one of the great unsung ones that no one talks about is the dogs of doom okay um, uh, uh outer space base um attacked by werewolves um mm-hmm. and then all of that ends up being a spoiler alert guys a cover for the dalek invasion of a system that they're going <laughs> to cleanse with a, a sun and they've got a sort of zoo of alien monsters and any one element of that would be utterly tremendous that's as i mean that's a season finale now that's kind of yeah definitely you think it's a werewolf story for part one and then the daleks appear at the cliffhanger i mean this is, I mean, this is no wonder, no wonder I was hooked. No uh-huh. wonder I was for life and I was driven mad. And then that was me as a, a, a nine-year-old. By the time I'm a sort of teen, early teen, thinking I'm having profound thoughts, along comes Steve Parkhouse uh-huh. uh, with Tides of Time and then into Voyager and this kind of, this kind of, uh, fairy tale in the in the in the best possible way in the doctor who way this kind of um these kind of worlds beyond worlds that even the doctor doesn't know about um that the doctor's really unsure of he's like the the the, the doctor that goes through the tides of time and voyager and the rest of that kind of steve parkhouse cycle of stories is constantly undercut by reality kind of giving way around him and the limits of his own knowledge um, mm-hmm. and, and I found that immensely, immensely powerful. And, and I wish that the TV show, uh, had a doctor like that, that was, um, um, that was a bit more of a stranger in the universe than the kind of, than the kind of car Farrak Gatry, timeless child kind of president of Russell, uh, you know, heir of yeah. Russell, whatever he is these days, uh-huh. on Storm. um, 
that kind of confused again i can't remember your question <laughs> yes yes <laughs> I, yes, I, 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 yes i i i i always enjoyed the comic strip <laughs> sure and, and when you took over as editor did you feel like you how did you feel the comic strip was when you I took over did you, did you like, think that you it was different from what i would like um, uh-huh. uh, i felt it needed um a bit more belief in itself um what what had happened was um i i i i think the comic strip is always lesser than its 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 possibilities when it adopts the the characters from the tv show when it brings in the tv companion okay um so i i kind of think that even back in the colin baker era when when it was the doctor and Frobisher, fantastic. It was off in worlds of, of its own. But, but but when Perry's there as well, it's suddenly like, where does this fit between seasons? Yeah. <laughs> a feeling. It's kind of, kind of, it, it, you kind of nail one foot down. It kind of grounds it. In, it in, does. In, in, the, in the television reality. It does. It does. And and, and I think it's sort of, it, it, you kind of want the, the writers approach it with a certain kind of wanting to recreate that, which which is not... For the Doctor Who comic strip to recreate the television program is not nearly good enough. No, mm-hmm. that's just that's just the beginning. Uh-huh. You know, that's, that's just the name. The 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 fact the TV show exists is 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 neither here nor there compared to what that Doctor Who comic strip should be doing. Um, so uh, then the the new adventures came uh, around, and there was a laudable, understandable choice to want to. Um, especially with the absence of the TV show, to want to create a b- bigger fiction that people could get sucked into. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, for these things to join up so you could read one and read the next and Bernice to be there and then um, uh, 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 that. And, 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 but that, that, was, that was tricky as well because, because the books and the comic strips had to work to two very different production lead times. Okay. And, neither could rely on the other person following the plot so um um you couldn't for example the strip couldn't introduce a companion that would then be picked up in the books um but but this the the strip was sort of expected to carry their companions okay and then uh, when when that wasn't kind of fitting there was a decide there was a decision to to then step back from that world and then just jump around the old doctors, move into the kind of um, uh, like the lunar strangers with the the fifth doctor and the space cows, or there was uh-huh. a Doctor Street with Ben and Polly. There was a uh, uh, I can't quite recall these. There, there, was, there was like three sure. or four of, of them, and that was the moment uh-huh. I inherited it. Okay. And I was like, we're stopping this. We're going back to the comic strip of my youth, where it's the Doctor and the companions that we make up. And um, and we're going off into an into a world where we're the leading edge of the story, um, not not the following edge, not the not the we're gonna uh, have an adventure with the third Doctor and unit, or or we're gonna um, follow on. This is gonna fit between so vile a sin and and all consuming fire or whatever. Okay. Um, whatever the order is, we, we're going to be the tip. If, if you're kind of looking at up at a, the, the great joy of that coming to it, when it, it gets to go it alone with its own companions 
is it's like looking up a kind of jet in the sky um, <laughs> where you just see the point of it uh-huh. flying out ahead and you've got no idea where it's going and 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 that's the bit you're like fascinated by um this the, the strip had been caught in the kind of vapor trail of other people's stories this kind of miasma of oh where's it fit what's it matter no one's gonna die there's no consequences yeah so so we wanted to step to the leading edge and again we we just began to plan that when doctor who came back wow. so so we had to uh, uh uh reconsider but but then do exactly the sure. same thing we had been planning anyway okay um reaching that point where uh the doctor who was coming back as the tv movie um how did your how did the magazine have to change once doctor who was once again for lack of a better term noticeable to the public yeah current um well we were again it, it it's not like it, it it was now the kind of rules that the magazine has to exist under now are, are you know yeah. uh-huh. are, are, are incredible and it's not just the magazine itself i mean the the the, the layers of of kind of uh, the 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 way that BBC Studios wish Doctor Who to be the, the, there's a there's a fascinating um, uh, pack that goes out to any kind of merchandiser now, which sort of explains the kind of language you're supposed to write in about the program and who the audience is and who the fans are, and it, it shows pictures of of what the BBC believes fans look like and they're like pictures from a kind of catalogue of a family kind of laughing around a picnic table <laughs> and, uh, and um, or some or, or at best some sort of plucky kid in a sort of happy cosplay uh-huh. um, very kind of but it's it's not really like that is it I'm sure that those of us I'm, I'm, I'm sure all of us do laugh around a picnic table on a regular basis <laughs> of but, course but there's a level of um there's a kind of level of kind of engineering now about how they wish it it to be. Um, uh, uh, what kind of demographic group they're trying to get to. But um, back in those days, we just got sent a press release saying, Doctor Who's coming back. Um, your license continues. There, there was one man in okay. life, Richard Hollis. Um, I sent him a letter asking if we could use these characters. Um, and... And he sent a letter back saying, as far as I understand it, you can. And okay. uh, we kept that letter. <laughs> because, um, uh, because because the next people who who asked, the contracts had been sorted out a bit more. And uh, it was it was very complicated by then, very soon after. So that's why we ended sure. up having the eighth doctor perfectly easily and his likeness. Uh, Richard in licensing just sort of signed it off. Um okay. And that's how we got to use Grace, and nobody else did, um, because because we just got a letter <laughs> that they uh-huh. couldn't take back. Um, <laughs> so, so, so no things things really didn't change. We got sent some photographs, and and I was off on a plane to Vancouver in in about two days' notice. I I, I think uh, I can't remember the exact timeline. I I I I think the formal announcement came the day that. Paul McGann left the country. He did that little photo shoot at Longleat. Yeah, uh, the pictures went out, and he was already flying uh, out to Vancouver that day. Um, one of the national newspapers, yeah, that's right, asked me to write a little piece about his casting, which I did. Um, which he 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 read on he read on arrival when the cuttings reached him, and that made him very favourable to Doctor Who magazine. We just happened okay. to 
get in front of him. So he always held us in in great esteem just because uh, of that little piece. Uh-huh. Um, so I arrived there to find them two weeks into, no, three weeks into the four week production. Things things in an absolute state. Uh, panic stations in this kind of Vancouver studio. Okay. Um, I I wasn't allowed to take pictures, so so I sat there scribbling little drawings of everything I could, <laughs> and um, and because I was paying my own way there, I was staying in a a youth hostel, um, because there was no money at at, at Marvel to send me. So I thought yeah. I'll 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 pay my own fare. And then I'll freelance all the features back to myself and get the money back uh-huh. sure. on the kind of word rate. Uh, but I, I was just, I, I was, what was I then? I was, I was 20, 24. Um, I'd never really traveled abroad much. So there I was in Vancouver for a week, um, uh-huh. hoping to get on set every day. I think I've gotten set for three days. Um, um, and so sketching everything, drawing Sylvester's costume, drawing the new TARDIS control room, which, of course, I mean, mind blowing for me as a fan to be standing around in these places. Oh, I'm sure. And then because we didn't have kind of Internet stuff to use then um, going to the, the fax machine in this kind of uh, youth hostel um, and faxing back to Marvel little line drawings of the TARDIS console. So the <laughs> saying the, the <laughs> There's a label that says Rassilon era, Earth era, Kralian era. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we were the first to see that. So, um, so, and then that was, that was, that was February. That was like February the 14th. Cause I remember I was there for Valentine's day and, um, and then by, and, and then that was shown in Britain in May. Yeah. So it, it's incredible to think now where they kind of make it. We we're kind of aware they're making that, that, Jody season now and they've been making it for some months we're broadly aware of and mm-hmm. it, it might be on in the autumn it might be on next year it's you know it's, the, it's, the, it's, the amount of production time now compared yeah. to back then yeah back then it was like I mean it was incredible it was like we're making it we've made it it's on no. um, and there and 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 it's on and it is gone I mean it was gone on that night um off he went in the TARDIS by himself I mean thank god I mean, <laughs> Grace Holloway was stupid for not going with him, but but I'm I'm delighted that she didn't because we probably about to kill her as well. Yeah. Um, um, uh, so there we were, an, an instant um, instant blank slate for us to work with. I mean, perfect, perfect. Uh-huh. So much possibility, but and and so little baggage. Yeah, that would that be a nice place to to continue on. When before we get to that point, when you came back from Vancouver after seeing the some of the production, did you just seeing what they had been doing? Did you have a feeling like you know this could be successful and Doctor Who could be back on TV, or did you have this sense of impending doom, like okay, this is going to be a one and done kind of thing? Um, yes to both of those questions uh, oh, yeah. there, there had been there, there had been some info beforehand there, there, there had been a script uh changing hands in in the in the more in the more um gossipy corners of london fandom so i i, I had seen it before I, I i couldn't possibly tell them that they'd have been horrified and i've been banned from the, uh-huh. the the set so we knew things like then i mean shock horror that the kissing was happening yeah um and and that was the kind of the 
that was the kind of the the the, the rage at the kind of Americanization of it. Sorry to use that as a as a pejorative term, no but that, that that fear there was because because mainstream kind of TV fantasy then was was kind of pretty broad in a kind of its kind of standard kind of whatever five act six act structure of of kind of romantic nice. subplots and everything else and 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 everyone knew that the master turned into a kind of snake <laughs> and, yeah. and that and that's and, and that in in its context sounded ludicrously extreme then because the master had always just been a man with a little beard yep <laughs> you know uh-huh. nowadays we look back at all the things the master has been um and a, a snake seems amongst the more plausible <laughs> <Yep>. um <laughs> um so uh, uh, back then it was like the master's a snake there's a car chase he kisses his companion it was uh, and, and and everyone knew the ending made made no sense even in the draft of script that's going around that there was a much worse ending I, I, I mean the ending of the TV TV movie I, I think remains one of its kind of weaker aspects that sort yeah. of the, they kind of just roll it back to yeah. like three scenes earlier and have another go um um uh, but even that, I can't remember the, how it was, but it, it was even messier. Um, so it, everyone's like, this is dreadful. Um, but then I arrived and saw this beautiful, I can't, the, the, the order I saw things, this beautiful TARDIS exterior. I, I think I think it remains now the most beautiful one that has ever been built. Um, this stunning TARDIS control room, which um, I, I, I was led onto that set kind of uh just by myself by by the executive producer and um it's it, it's it was basically a 360 degree set so so, so you, we walked through the, the 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 control room doors um up and it was just massive you're standing under uh-huh. those girders that that support the the console it mm-hmm. was it was just uh an outer body experience even to me who'd had who'd who'd had rise to school in Bessie, I was like, oh, okay, get the TARDIS now, is it? Look, here it is. And uh-huh. um, he flicked a switch on, on the console and the, 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 the column started to move. It was <laughs> incredible. And then from there into the, um, uh, the, the kind of cloister room, sure. uh, which, which was massive. I can remember that, about the size of a tennis court um, with kind of steps up. And, and this, is, this looked like nothing I ever dared imagine. Um, and then I interviewed the cast, and uh, and the kind of energy you got from Paul McGann was obviously perfect. I mean, that comes through on, on screen. No one, no one from the minute he first arrived on screen to this present day has ever, I think, had anything negative to say about Paul no, McGann. No, no, not a thing. As, as the, 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 the talk show, which is kind of kind of incredible, really, when you think about it. The, mm-hmm. the kind of the bad. Uh, the kind of r- rough treatment some of those other actors have had over the years. So, so it's spectacular. So it, it came across really well. Um, but when interviewing Philip Siegel, um, he was obviously kind of uh, broken <laughs> by that. They, they were just, they were just probably just going into overruns then because I, I think there's like three or four days added onto the schedule to, to, okay to shoot those rewritten cloister room scenes. Uh-huh. So sure. I, I'm sure the money was spiralling. I'm sure he was getting it in the neck from all sides, from Fox, from the BBC. Um, and I remember interviewed it. I remember interviewing him, asking about what, what the chances were for a series. And, and while he talked the right answers, and while I, I then wrote that up inside the magazine, and people said things like, 
the word backdoor pilot was the uh, phrase du jour, which yeah. is not, a, which is not a thing that actually exists. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like, please, will this just be convincing enough that someone will go, let's make some of, of that. There was no, there was no, he'd, he'd literally shopped it everywhere until it ended up as the movie of the, the week. And that's what it was budgeted for. And that's what it was designed to be. Um, to get a series off the ground was a, was basically beginning the process again. He'd have to go back and, I mean, he'd have something to show them. But for that man, so tired, I, I, I'm not even sure he wanted to. He'd finally got it made. His childhood dream from, uh-huh. um, uh, from his 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 sort of English childhood through to his work in Hollywood. Um, I, I I just I, I even then I I left. I, I flew back to 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 London knowing there was going to be no more sure, um, sure. in my heart of hearts. Um, okay. But not to say it didn't deserve it. Yeah. But, so, but, so once you get back and and you you now have this blank slate to to start with in Doctor Who magazine, you know you have a a brand new doctor with you know ninety minutes of screen time. What were what did you? feel going into this part of of Doctor well, magazine we were already sort of joining the, the <laughs> we we didn't so much join join the tv movie and follow on from that as find a way to let the tv movie join what we were already doing i mean by this point i was working with both scott gray and alan barnes both kind uh-huh. of titans of their of of of, of the doctor Who comic and and I'd been given, I, I finally wrested it from Gary uh, because one of the terms of me joining as joining the magazine as editor was that he'd be the group editor, but he'd still continue to oversee the comic strip because it was the bit of the job he he really enjoyed still. Yeah. And he had comic strips in, in the works from, uh, there was another one from Colin, there was one from Harry Letts, there was one from Andrew Cartmel. Um, um, so he was going along those lines. Uh, sure. Again, using old doctors uh-huh. um, uh, and I said please let me do this please let me do this so I, I wanted to as I explained before get back to kind of the, the lead the, the kind of doctor as now this is yeah. this is, this is his the beginning of his unfolding tale mm-hmm. and at that point that meant Sylvester so we knew we were going to bring back Sylvester as the as as our ongoing active doctor okay um, but that meant the new adventures were happening, so we needed to get away from them. Um, so we needed to uh, 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 bring in our own companion and clear that away. And uh, and so I decided we decided to make a a feature of that and, and use that as a a chance to to really kind of like <laughs> it was not the most subtle of tools, I must say. It was like clanging a bin lid, and 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 it <laughs> make us very popular but but it it, it turned it turned eyes back to something that people hadn't really been looking at for i i think quite a few yeah. years um uh-huh. um no one had really um uh, killed a companion before i i don't think um um and and uh, people can fit fit their their continuities in obviously she'll probably die another 20 times yet yeah, but it it, it was a thing to do. It was a it was a justifiable narrative promotional tool to kill off Ace. Yeah. Um, and but we, we had that plotted uh, and and that was working through whilst I was in Vancouver. So um, so 
simple things like the doctor's costume changing, we could fax that over and that would become his costume in Ground Zero, um, which was helping to put that, helping to put that. At, so, so what was our leading edge Sylvester McCoy story? We, we were then deliberately plugging in to the TV movie. Uh-huh. Um, we blow up the TARDIS control room so he can rebuild it. And, and uh, so we wanted him alone and there he was. Uh, they'd felt under no obligation to explain where Ace was. So, so these these two these two lines of thinking, our line of thinking, dovetail perfectly with where they position Sylvester's doctor themselves. If this isn't yeah. complicated matters, then he changes and and off you go. So we we wanted to use Sylvester's last story as a great springboard to our version of the eighth doctor so that's what ground zero became and that like many things in my editorship of the comic strip was informed by one of my favorite things of doctor who monthly which was um the neutron nights which was which which ended up as the last comic strip of tom baker's doctor was a kind of Uh weird self-contained little again another kind of little steve parkhouse kind of semi-fantasy is it a dream is it real story which 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 then led into the tides of time um so we weren't quite set for our tides of time yet but we could use ground zero and and kind of embracing the death of the seventh doc doctor to to be our tag and and our tag that we used was the creation uh, the brilliant idea of scots of the threshold this kind of uh international business intergalactic uh timeless kind of business consortium that became Uh kind of running threat and because they'd been responsible for the death of ace what what great stakes for the doctor um and 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 that became our kind of running tiktok kind of background threat which which allowed me also again to get back to the old steve parkhouse days where where one strip often kind of was informed by events, the continu- the, the the kind of, you'd have characters like Dog Bolter or Ivan Asimov. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and, and what's his name? Maxwell Edison. Yeah. So uh, the reappearance of Maxwell Edison in, um, in the eighth doctor's first comic strip with us, Endgame um, and Stockbridge was, was very much literally me <laughs> staking staking the flag in we're going back to this world now this is okay the magazine's world uh-huh. you know, I, I i i one thing we never got to, to do I, I really wanted to go back to black castle where uh the um it's it's the this sort of urban sort of cityscape of uh of um the star beast um yeah back in the weekly uh, i i i'd always intended to have city stories set in black castle and uh kind of those kind of English country stories set in Stockbridge and we'd have lots of them, but we, we never quite got to Black Castle. Maybe one day. <laughs> uh, when, when you started with this, this kind of uh, fresh start with the East actor, did you to give Scott and uh, Alan, here's where we, the direction we kind of want to go, or did you kind of give them a little bit of free reign to come up with their own ideas? Once again, a bit of each, I think um, I, I, very much outline the kind of thing we wanted to do. Um, I'm, I'm always very careful. Uh, here's why I, I don't really do 
Um, this is my first ever podcast. I, I'm, I'm always <laughs> wary of uh, accidentally taking credit uh, for other people's ideas because they were all uh, kind of creative out of the the group. But uh-huh. uh, but the best ideas <laughs> came from Scott and Alan. Um, I insisted on single page splash cliffhangers. Um, Again, thinking about it in terms of the the physical magazine you'd hold in your hand and thinking about all those people who for years had flicked past the comic strip. I wanted to give an image every month that they couldn't flick past. So whether that was the death of Ace or the return of the Daleks or the Celestial Toymaker, if you're going to trade off of old monsters or or a kind of a, a deadly vampire monkey leaping out with a syringe or, <laughs> or, uh, or or stock bridges in a snow globe or or most notably uh when we killed off the eighth doctor um uh i i i kind of would 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 very much outline those kind of um those kind of uh podium kind of events that's good uh-huh. um things and um also outline the general length of stories i kind of write them a little memo <laughs> which they then re- have to read in, in front of me saying i want a two-part story that leads into a sort of eight-part story um okay. my my reason for that i was constantly wanted kind of hooks i constantly wanted things to refer back um but then they take that and and sort of work it up in between them both and scott would have a great deal of input into um alan's work and alan would uh, would have a great deal of input into Scots. Um, one one thing about it, at that point, um, we'd been moved out of central London into an office in the depths of Kent in Tunbridge Wells, where, okay. um, and that's a f- and that's a train ride of about three quarters of an hour from uh, Charing Cross Station, and we all lived sort of centrally or or in North London, so I had to. Um, travel across the city and then travel onto this kind of commuter train the wrong way every morning um, to work. And we were all quite young and we were horrified at the idea of having to go and work out in the countryside when when the move was made. Um, mm-hmm. For at least the first year, our travel was paid, so off we went. And in those days, that train route had quite ancient rolling stock, um, what we call in Britain, sort of slam door trains, and which would be recognisable around the world from old movies, or now in the Hogwarts Express. Okay. The the sort where alongside one side of the train, you could walk along a walk along a passageway and open a sliding door into a compartment where six of you could sit inside a little sliding door compartment, um, like something from the 1940s. I I mean, that's when these trains were made. Yeah. Um, but but still, they were travelling, rattling back and forth every day to Tunbridge Wells. And me, Scott and Alan would sit in one of these compartments. Um, again, you could picture it like the Hogwarts Express. So there we were, kind of Harry, Ron and Hermione. I won't say who's which. <laughs> um, but Alan Barnes is definitely Ron Weasley. Um, um, and and there we'd, we'd, we'd sit kind of cackling away uh, five days a week our various ideas for things. Uh-huh. Uh, features for who we could interview but also ideas for this strip um and so that was our kind of little uh uh, uh the sort of thing that you, you call a writer's room i think on a tv program now um um so but 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 not to say not to not to take a, 
away their individual creative thing because those guys would go away and bring you back a synopsis which uh-huh. would kind of knock my socks off um uh, they're both kind of uh, prodigies i mean um and and both very different kind of writers al allen's strips his kind of early ones then uh, uh, i i just read some uh, to to remind myself before this this podcast so rich and dense there's often like five different different things happening in a panel uh, um and, and kind of full of kind of playful tv references and literally ref- and, and and movie references and literary references um scots come from this place massively informed by the kind of the, the titans of comics um uh, steve ditko and jack kirby and these this kind of brilliant kind of these kind of intergalactic ideas um so they both come back with these with these storylines and i'm like this is the stuff this is what i want <laughs> this is um so i i i just if 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 i had any skill at all in this it was it was keeping them <laughs> having <laughs> there having them having that team uh-huh um uh but yeah great days great people um um and they're not dead they're still doing brilliant work now yeah and along those lines as far as like the the artistic side the the illustrating and drawing um how how did you yeah, well, martin, keep the art martin, team going well martin was that what i again what i wanted was i wanted the feeling of doctor who monthly when i was young which had one artist going on for 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 years at a time yeah. either either dave gibbons or 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 later uh uh after sort of it it had a wobbly time before kind of uh, uh john ridgeway settled in for a kind of long haul and uh-huh. that gave it a feeling of i i always found that really important for a feeling of ongoing again feeling that you're part of the ongoing story this is what that world yeah. looks like uh, you're just looking in at, at it and 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 here it is playing out in front of you I, I always found because I've never been a massively a comics fan per se um I was a Doctor Who magazine comic strip fan uh-huh. I, I never really I never really bought Marvel comics or anything else I I, I didn't have favorite artists I didn't really I I, I, did, I I didn't really appreciate the pleasure of of people changing on your favorite book and bringing a new world to it so I, I just wanted what I'd had, um, but more so. So I needed an artist who, who, who had that clean kind of, clean kind of style that yeah. I think suited it, um, um, and was available to 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 do it month in month out, which was no, no small task. And Martin brilliantly said yes, and 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 he was learning on the job. I mean, I mean, I mean, he was he was brilliant i mean he he done bits and bobs of one shots and and i think um the lunar strangers that we mentioned before with kind of the space cows uh-huh. um, um and shoney was really able but um him working with scott um um i think really brought out the best in each other uh, uh so i wanted martin to do it every week but it turned out we kept we kept breaking him he had to like <laughs> he had to <laughs> He had this thing called a life that he kept talking about. Um, um, so every now and again, we'd make sure that we had a sort of uh, a one shot funny in the bank. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, or always have a kind of story in, in reserve, which I kind of appreciate the value of. But it, it, it 
secretly it kind of grated on me. I just wanted to get on with our epic. Uh, just keep the story going. I'd have had I I'd have had Martin and 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 Alan and Scott working till they broke if I'd had. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, but yeah, so um, it 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 worked well, and and we're all very young. We're all and and all very like minded in what we wanted to do. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so off we went. Yeah, and I, I think uh, uh, speaking for myself as well as I think quite a few of the people that read Doctor Magazine and the comic strip back then. I think the 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 team that you had did an amazing job of telling some really wonderful stories. Ah, and the golden was, age, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I I don't know I, if I call I'm it the delighted. golden age. I I, would, I look <laughs> at the, the you know the the stuff that you grew up on the the Dave Gibbons yes, indeed, indeed. stuff is the golden age. I would call it more like the silver age. Absolutely. So I'm 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 being uh, because. because because I can't take praise well. As soon as you start, <laughs> I, I have to subvert it by being amusingly egotistical. Um, so yeah, it was it was it, it was good. It, it was it was really informed by by those people, and also kind of it's turned out really ahead of its time. People have have I think gone and found a lot of the the revived TV show in those strips. Yeah, um, a very much a feeling of the kind of season finales. Um, um, some, some some kind of very recognizable, recognizably similar ideas, yes, but also mm-hmm. a, a real kind of tone um, in the in the nature of the companions and in the nature of the stories they they tell. And I think in in part that is Russell was reading our strip and enjoying it, but I think more so that both us and Russell had been informed by those early Doctor Who monthlies uh and and weeklies um yeah so there's there's there, there's not much space between a story like gridlock and uh and uh, uh and a doctor who monthly comic strip um mm-hmm. new earth that that whole kind of world there yeah feels feels very informed by by those early marvel yep i totally uh, agree strips so we were both sort of standing on the shoulders of the same giant um um and kind of thinking the same thoughts but mm-hmm. um uh but russell has that great that great russell and 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 stephen has that great kind of they just these incredible wellsprings of ideas of fresh ideas and 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 i count scott uh, uh especially amongst amongst their number as yeah. someone who just cannot 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 fail to be original um in your last podcast you railed uh, quite rightly against the kind of the, the titan book um world of uh, everything looks like that these days isn't it you, you, yeah. you can't some you can't see a merchandise something that doesn't have the fifth doctor alongside the tenth doctor and three daleks or yeah or, or um, five masters or the sea devils facing missy or and it's this kind of um reductive and and you know why it happens because because sales sales in in this kind of margin merchandise are kind of down and so they have mm-hmm. to recreate they're kind of yeah. recreating what's been successful for them before yeah um and and so it's like sticking these kind of lego bricks thinking that 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 these components are what makes doctor who um um 
but they're, they're just objects. They're they're just they're just things. That's not Doctor Who. Right. Doctor Who is is that kind of that kind of like I said that kind of jet plane going through the sky where you're looking at the kind of tip of of, of it uh-huh. pushing through. And, and and that's what and that's what a great showrunner has. And that's what at their strength. And, and and that's what Scott was, yeah, and remains a kind of brilliant, you know, yeah, show the jet plane creator. Yeah, that, I totally agree. And, and Scott's one of those that he, I think he really kind of in, in, encompasses and he gets what Doctor Who is about. It's about, you know, a, a person who's traveling in a ship that can go through anywhere in time and space. You can tell any kind of story you could possibly think of whether it be historical science fiction, you know, taking place here on earth or somewhere far out in space, he, he gets that the story is the important thing. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you to a degree. I, I, I think there is a, there is a, it, it's a familiar thing to say that the thing that, that sets that program apart is that it can tell any type of story. And people mm-hmm. will like to say one week it can be cowboys and one week it can be out of space adventure. But I, that's, I, that's true to a degree, but there is a fundamentally, it, it can be all those things, but, but it doesn't really matter where it is. Um, that's kind of, because, okay. because sort of Star Trek could do that a bit if it, if it wanted to in its holodeck. It, it could go and yeah. tell a story about True. racism in the 50s if, if, if it wanted to equally well, uh, if it was well written. But yeah. there, there is a fundamental Doctor Who, Doctor Who energy which which you just can't you can only kind of glimpse out of the corner of your eye. you kind of you, you sort of know it when it's not more often than you know it when it is sure because the strangest things can pop up and surprise you like if someone had told me that the doctor will would travel back in time to meet vincent van gogh and uh, and deal with his his depression and then bring him to show him his pictures and some and a track by elbow will will well up and, <laughs> and you'll cry uh-huh. a couple of years before it was done i would have said don't you dare that is the most that is the most crass <laughs> awful thing i could imagine happening but there it is uh-huh. so, um if someone had told me the doctor's TARDIS will will manifest as a woman and it's going to be great. I'll say, oh, yeah, that's a brilliant thing. I mean, we even had that in, in the strip. And I yeah. hate the Doctor's wife. <laughs> I know it's beloved. <laughs> I loathe it. I loathe it because the, the TARDIS sort of, the TARDIS lady sort of goes off at the end and they're crying over her while stepping over the corpse of this woman. <laughs> who <laughs> And no one, ever, uh-huh. no, no one ever asks about her in that story. Yeah. You know, I always, I'm always like, why? Why does no one care about that poor woman? Um, anyway, so you kind of so to me, Vincent and the the, the, the doctor, for example, which, which I'd which old me would have thought that's wrong. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the doctor's wife, which I would have thought would be exactly right, turns out to be wrong for me. Uh-huh. So you can look at more mundane examples like what was that one last year? Orphan fifty five where they end up and it's like uh, they're a holiday resort and then there's horrible monsters. And then it's yeah. like, oh, t- turns out it's Earth in this sort of Planet of the Apes kind of, uh, oh, and this is what will happen if you um, if you don't recycle your, your milk cartons or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and everyone's going, and I'm sure the people making it were making, this is, this is, exactly, this is exactly what Doctor Who should be doing. The, can you imagine the number of minds that were trained upon that? 
through yeah. the scripting process, through the production process. But it comes yeah. out uh, out the end. It's got Doctor Who in it. It's got a TARDIS. It's set in the future. It's got monsters. Absolutely plausible. But Doctor Who, is it? No. You sort of go, no. No, mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you. It's nice of you for trying. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, you kind of you kind of never know what that programme is until it isn't. <laughs> and yeah. um, and um, um, uh, again, I can't remember where this question is. Yeah, Scott. Scott is is brilliant at kind of knowing what it's it's not. Yeah, no, I I, I totally see your point. You know yeah. that, that makes total sense. It's one of those where you can kind of set your heart in telling a Doctor Who story, but not until you get it done and look at it yeah. when it's all totally said and done. If you go, yeah, this has the Doctor Who feel, or no, this isn't quite what we were, you know, and what even, we're expecting. Even, even the greats get misled, get 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 uh-huh. led a, 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 a wrong lane. Like there's 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 a each of the showrunners that, that they've had on on the main program start off with we're, we're going to be like 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 this 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 is our world it's going to be rose it's going to be a family family setting or Stephen Moffat it's going to be Amy it's going to have this kind of more kind of fairy tale kind of kind of quality it's going to be about the relationship mm-hmm. of the raggedy doctor and her and or or Chris Tibnall going on, we're gonna we're gonna be much more we're gonna have our heart on our sleeve much more, we're gonna be much more kind of tackle some social issues and and, and do that. They all start off with a very clear path, but yeah. all of them somehow end up on the ruins of Gallifrey. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I think every time you ch- every era is a reaction to the one before. And and by the time you've reacted to the reaction to the reaction, you end up back where you started. Um, so 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 Russell ended up with with the, the master's heartbeats and Rassilon was there, played by Timothy Dalton. And I'm sure when he started, he had no wish to to, to bring back. I mean, the very first uh-huh. thing he did was make sure that that, that bloody planet didn't exist. Yeah, wipe um, it wipe it um, totally out of existence. Yeah, yeah. Steve, Stephen and and ended up there. I think particularly something about the um, the fiftieth anniversary means uh, means you get stuck into the program's own kind of mythos. I hate that word. Um, uh, Chris Tindall last time. I mean, never mind. It, it, it busily trying to create a new a new kind of legend behind the legend, which is a perfectly reasonable thing for him him to do. Ends up with. Ends up with the new master stood in the ruins of the Panopticon with the corpses of the Time Lords back as Cybermen, in, and you're going, yeah. I'm sure this isn't what you meant to do. <laughs> I'm sure in your heart of hearts, this isn't what you think the audience wants. Um, um, and so, yeah, you've 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 got however good you are, you've got to fight what I call the Gallifrey effect. You've got to fight this this urge <laughs> to end up telling stories of the old times. I mean, the uh-huh. new adventures were, were all, were all up in that as well. Um, 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 so yeah, you, you, you've got to try and be the, again, you've, you've got to try and be the leading edge as best you can. Yeah. And, and not, it's time for them. It's time for, for Salamander to fight the quark, the quarks. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and I, I think that in, in your, your stead as the editor of Doctor Who magazine, I think you did that. I think you, you were the leading edge. Okay. Well, the trick is to get out while you're doing well. <laughs> get out while you're doing well. Is, is that I mean, what you decided to do? Uh, you know, when, yeah, it, when you decided it was time to, to move on, where you're like, okay, I've I've achieved what I've wanted to accomplish. I, everything's going yeah. gangbusters. It's time for me to 
hand I, over the world to somebody else? I, I was very ambitious. And, and like I said, most things I do, I do for attention and, and praise. Um, and, and, you know, uh, people had seen my bag of tricks by that point. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so while we, we were kind of, kind of amusing still hope, hope hopefully i and and also i i i, I was very young i mean uh-huh. i started on on the magazine more or less fresh out of university i think i i think i don't know for sure i think the age i was when i left is still younger than the youngest other editor was oh really <laughs> so, so i kind of burned through it very much in that i was a kind of um i i had the arrogance of that kind of youth to uh-huh. me and and i wanted to to Go, go off and take that kind of energy I had on to other things. I mean, the day afterwards, I regretted it immensely. And for years afterwards, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure which other editors would, would ad- admit or say, but it is harrowing to leave that magazine. You, to, to see it being done by someone else is, is a, is a, like a gut punch. You kind of think, you kind of think it's yours. It, it, it so, do you, if somebody's messing with my kid. Oh, it possesses it possesses <laughs> your every waking thought when you're in charge of it. Uh huh. Um, well, if you're doing it right. Um, um, so I, I mean, I, I I missed it. I missed it terribly. But I, I've always tried to, and because of that, I've always tried to keep a sort of respectful distance from Doctor Who. Sure. Um, I mean, I still love it in micro detail all my best friendships are, uh, uh, with fans, most, most conversations end up there. Um, but in terms of being part of it, it's a bit like, it's a bit like working on Terminus, um, um, where there's a radioactive core that, 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 that if you get too close to it, it makes you ill, but they give you the hydromel to keep you going. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> um, um you, you you get your little fix of knowing that little bit of information, that little bit of gossip, that little bit of insider. It's to uh, to switch my metaphor completely. It's 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 like never leaving school to work full time on Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Um, uh, it's like it's like a very safe space where you know the rules of of your school. Uh-huh. Uh, not quite. So so it it can drive you a bit crazy. Um, so you've got to, and especially now in the age of, thank God I never had the internet. Um, I never had comment sections to deal with. Yeah. Um, um, you've, you've, you've got to be, so I, I, I did my, my bit and then took myself away. And yeah. then I, I came back to do, uh, I, I went back as, as a writer of, of, of a writer of DVD, reviews for a few okay. years because again a bit like this this the strip it was a thing that i looked at from outside thinking this could be done in a different way and and again uh, having sort of lobbied the kind of editor about how it could be done he, he turned around and said well why don't you do it then so i i, sure. I, I ended up back there a bit more kind of doing to to put my to put my money where my mouth was as it were uh-huh. Um but yeah and and but again after doing that I kind of step back um um because it's nice to just watch and enjoy it really. Yeah. Uh yeah did you feel like you had to 
kind of take a step back and just remove yourself from Doctor Who almost entirely just to have a break from it after being so immersed in it so so much for so yeah. long. It, it it fills in it fills in your kind of social life as as well and and the broader social life. You you you, you, you there's all these sort of there's lots of oh have you heard about so and so and what he said to uh, oh and he's working on that book but he's you know and mm-hmm. um um you yeah it it can just drive you a bit too lovely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I think it's it's it, it, it's it's a kind of thing which if your hobby becomes your job um um you you have to you have to make sure you've got another hobby as well yeah yeah <laughs> or, exactly yeah you know so um 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 yeah and 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 i i i think that uh i i hope that a kind of a, a kind of different energy i brought to the magazine kind of lived on after my time there the kind of the kind of feeling of it being a magazine in itself that this is this is not just another adjunct of of Doctor Who. It's not another piece of merchandise. It's bloody Doctor Who magazine. It's like this. It's it's a thing to be. It's it's a thing to sort of to, to be proud of. And people, even even now, I mean, uh, you, you see them on Twitter saying, "I've got a credit in Doctor Who magazine." Yeah. It's 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 it remains exciting mm-hmm. to to people and and. It was in a, 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 a very fragile state. I mean, the, the, the readership was very low yeah. uh, during that time. The, the movie gave it a boost. Um, but you had to, it was like, it was like a hot air, it was like, it, it was like having a hot air balloon that you kept afloat by just your own breath. <laughs> just, <laughs> those, those of us standing in the basket were just, puffing uh-huh. <laughs> whatever creative whatever creativity to keep this gossamer thing, uh-huh. thing keep, it, keep float it floating to keep it going and and it did it, it, it stayed grazing grazing the mountaintops until finally uh russell came along with his with his great booming voice sent it kind of skyward once again uh-huh. yeah um, so, so yes, it's both a jet and a hot air balloon, Doctor. Doctor sure. Who. I hope you're keeping up with my metaphors. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> All right. Do you still read Doctor Who magazine to this day? Uh, I get it every month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I follow it through and and talk about it and and every issue c- comes in and I think my myself and my closest friends, I think within minutes are talking about uh, the content of each new issue. Do, um, do you do you have to resist critiquing each issue? And saying, "Oh well, I, I, I would have oh, done this." Or as the years have gone on, have you said, beyond, "Oh, I'm beyond critique now." I, I, <laughs> I think I and and uh, um, you, you, you I'm, I mean, the 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 stuff, um, the kind of new angles that they find, and and the particular there's Doctor Who uh, journalism is sort of separated out into into separate fields now. This uh-huh. kind. Of, this kind of archaeology um, of of paperwork of papers, be it studio set plans or yeah. or rehearsal scripts or, or or old things at Cavisham. There's 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 kind of there's kind of there's a separate art of getting stories out of actors um, uh, and working with them or or tracking down now people are tracking down the families of people like Donald Wilson and David Whitaker and and moving in into that kind of thing. There's 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 the way that the 
there's the way that the fictional world is brought to life there's there's whole books that sort of uh do, do, do sort of write about that sort of thing that that they uh-huh. do it so well i used to say even back when doctor who was much smaller than it it was now that the great thing about doctor who fandom is that no one person could ever take charge of it that you looked at other fandoms like around the time like the prisoner or blake seven or or whatever else and 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 there was always some kind of person in the middle of it who controlled the conventions and the the appreciation society or the flow of information but even then doctor who fandom in my day it was needed a needed a gary russell as much as it needed a paul cornell and it needed a uh it needed a david howe and it needed a uh 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 andrew beach running the conventions all of them in their own slice doing their own bit their their own brand as it were supremely well so and and none of them could really do each other it's it's and no one could take over anyone else's bit (laughs) so it it was very leveling uh, that, that that way. You're always just one part of the, the the whole. So it really stopped fandom over the years turning properly toxic. I know you might read online f- online things and think, God, who are these people? Tear <laughs> 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 up. But in terms of it actually descending into kind of weird court cases and things that other fandoms do, it's it's never had any of that yeah. because each every sort of ten years or so. You know, everybody's replacement comes uh, uh, along. So, um, so the, the new version of me comes along. Uh-huh. You know, Clayton Hickman or Tom Spilsbury comes along with the same kind of of, of thing. Um, uh, uh, David Howe has led a, a, a an area of kind of sort of research along with Jeremy Bentham that led into Andrew uh-huh. Pixley, and now his sort of work is 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 taken on by other people so so all these sort of creative types yeah are kind of, each new kind of age group comes along and, and replace them and there's people out there you know eight who were eight years old when rose was on uh-huh. um, how long ago was that now that's six what is that 15 it's years ago 15 six, 16 years ago is is ago so let's say there were five like i was when i discovered that oh kind of university age now and what these people are going to do mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're all they're all waiting in the wings ready to what take over gonna, you know uh we're going to see these are the people who've been learning kind of learning 3d animation because they're going to create a photorealistic version of marco polo within about two years you know they're uh-huh. these new edges of creativity that come up back then it was print because that's what we had people would type something on their typewriter and put it in a magazine but now now it's um now it's um 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 computers and these are the the sorry computers as if i don't know what they they are (laughs) now there's new edges of of of, of creativity 3d artwork animation you know which are going to create some great work Uh uh-huh um one one last question for you. We've covered uh, uh, your entire Doctor Who magazine career. Um, well, actually, I guess two last questions. One, okay. uh, what what have you done since Doctor Who magazine? Um, you know, that's it's ah. quite some time in the past. What you've been up to uh, since I've then? Kept, I've kept to the shadows. Oh, really? 
Um, I've I've stayed working in in magazines. I worked. I moved from there to work on a, a pop music magazine. I briefly went back to another sci-fi magazine, and okay. then I to a magazine called Inside uh, Soap, which is um, a weekly title in in Britain covering our sort of top soap op- operas. And okay. uh, and where soap in the states, I I know is a kind of daytime affair. I'm, I'm sure uh-huh. at, at least you'll know from the rivalry of of Doctor Who and Coronation Street in the uh, yeah. Yeah. 80s, how, how big these programs are, oh, sure. are in Britain. So so I still do a magazine about popular television. And okay. even though it's kind of largely read by kind of housewives, it's 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 still in, it's still kind of the same thing as it was doing back then. It's yeah. still kind of trying to be funny and entertaining and a thing in itself and soap fans are just the same as who fans you you, you know they need you to get the facts right oh and yeah I'm, they, I'm sure they want to know what's happening next they're full of opinions and um so it's it's it is the magazine it is the mainstream magazine which is i think most like staying at doctor who would have been so uh-huh. um yeah, um, i, I yeah. can see that it's, it's kind of the same thing that you've done with doctor who just in uh uh, a yeah. different genre. Yeah, yeah, and I'm very happy there. And and we regularly employ a wide variety of of, uh, of sort of uh, fan names that you'd know. So uh, it's it's been quite okay. a sort of, uh, second home for a lot of DWM people over the years. Sure. And uh, the the last question I have for you, uh, since you've been a lifelong Doctor Who fan, you've been Doctor Who magazine editor. Reading Doctor Who magazine now, do you ever have the the urge or the want to go back and become the editor of Doctor Who magazine again? Never boil your cabbages twice, my uh, mum would ah. say. Um, uh-huh. um, um, no, I, I'd, I'd, you know, of course, of course, I, I've, in a, a way, you, you, you never stop doing that job. But also, if I write a feature, I, I never stop writing it i think there's there's things i i was thinking today about i wrote a review of the dvd of megloss must be about 15 years ago and oh. um, um i i thought of another joke for it i thought <laughs> it's a bit late now so i think if you're a writer uh uh the I was about to say the best kind of writer, but that kind of flatters myself. If <laughs> if you're if you're a writer like me, I think you kind of never let things go. So you're constantly you you can't look at a thing without thinking how you might have done it, and 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 yeah, imagining them them sort of turning around to me and saying, "Would you like to, to do this?" You'd say no because because it just wouldn't be as good as it was before. Yeah. Um, 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 I, I'd also need it to be 52 pages long. I'd need the show to be cancelled and I'd need the, comic to be, <laughs> I need the comic to be returned into black and white. And I, I think there's a number of forces that might be resistant to those changes. Uh, probably just a few here and there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, Gary Gillett, it has been an extreme pleasure to, to chat with you. Um, My pleasure. I, like I said, it's, you, you are uh, right at the tip top of that bucket list of mine of people I've wanted to have on the podcast. And, well, I, uh, I hope it takes you a very long time to fulfil that list because it, <laughs> if you kick the bucket at the, 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 the end of it, make sure it's, uh, it stretches out long into the future, Jeremy. Oh, well, thank you very much. I, I, I plan on doing that. So, okay, uh, Gary, thank you. you for your time today and, and thank you very much for, for uh, talking about your career. My pleasure and best of luck with the podcast.
Many thanks to Doctor Who Magazine former editor Gary Gillett for joining me. Uh, it was a pleasure, extreme pleasure to talk to him. He's somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long, long time. Like he mentioned early on in the interview, I hit him up years ago, and uh, finally after all this time, I guess I wore him down enough that he was willing to do it, and everything worked out, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thank you for downloading this episode of Doctor Who Panel the Panel. And please make sure you check out archive.org and do a search for Dr. Who Panel to Panel for previous episodes. All the way back to episode 2 is what you can find on there. So if you've missed out on other interviews with former Dr. Who editors, I've interviewed 7 editors now. You can find them on there. So, until next time, this is Jim B. Bent saying happy 4th of July and bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. Thank you.